Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Creative Income. I am your host, Lars Lindstrom. I'm so excited you're here. A uh, couple of things. I recently on my Instagram page, my personal Instagram page, started doing uh, some filmmaking reels. So if you're at all interested in some behind the scenes cinematography type posts, head over to my Instagram. It's jlarsl um, or Lars Lindstrom. You'll probably find me there. And um, take a look. Give me a follow or, uh, or comment on some of those posts. I'm really excited about it. Um, you know, I it's it's still a slow year for me. Um, we're mid-January at this point, and uh, still not a lot lining up. There's a ton of rumors, right? Lots of people saying, hey, keep the end of February open, or the end of the first quarter, or the beginning of the second quarter open. Uh, I've had about 10 different directors tell me that. And it's all very exciting uh, if they would, you know, start actually booking jobs and saying, like, yeah, for sure, here are the dates. This is what we need. Uh, here's the script. Um, but until then, I'm just going to start making these Instagram posts. So if you are in the film industry or if you're interested at all in the film industry, give me a follow on Instagram, take a look at those reels and, uh, give me some feedback. Let me know what you think or what you would like to see in the future. Today we have an actor, uh, Tony winner and producer, Steve Kazee. Um, he was in a film I did earlier last year and, uh, had a really great experience with, with, uh, Steve and his wife, Jenna. Um, both starring in the same film and uh, producing the film uh, as well. So um, he was kind enough to join us on the podcast. Um, I, stick around to the end the where we talk about his Tony win and, and how it changed his life. Um, spoiler alert, uh, it's not really in the ways you would imagine. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, let's dive right into the episode and we will recap at the end. Steve, thanks so much for, for joining me, jumping on the podcast. I know you guys are pretty busy. pleasure. We've been trying to make this happen for a minute, so I'm glad yes. it kind of got yeah, to it. Yeah, and I and I take full responsibility. That's my fault. I there was lots of like, yeah, give me some dates, and then I was <laughs> no, it's I okay. just disappear. It's, okay. it's all right. It's been a crazy so, six, yeah. seven months. Oh, it really has been. Um, but yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to just jump in, talk to me about where you came from. Uh, I know you as an actor producer, um, but I think you came up through Broadway. You came up through. Um, you have a Tony Award. We'll talk. We're going to talk all about that. But how did you get started, and and how did that? What did that path look like? Um, I mean, I had a kind of a strange, you know, long and winding road kind of mm. thing happen for me, where, you know, I was I grew up in a very very small town and didn't really have like the kind of, you know upward mobility that a lot of, you know, other cities have. And so most people that I went to school with, they kind of, you know, if they went to college, it was a luxury, but most of them would go to a small college close to home and then come back and, you know, settle down in home. And, you know, for me, it was just like, I always just had the itch to be somewhere else and do something else. And so through a really sort of like long winding that took me through, like I was almost a cop for a while. I went to like police training for a minute and then I decided I wanted to be an FBI profiler. And so that got me into psychology. It was like all these things. And then somehow I landed in the theater department randomly. Uh, you know, this is in college I, or high school? This is in college. college. I had yeah. a crush on a girl in my um, biology class who was in the theater. And um, she was like, oh yeah, well come to this audition with me tonight and then we can go see a movie. And then, I got roped into the audition because I was just kind of hanging out there and 
The next thing I knew, I was in a musical. And then that was pretty much, you know, that was the point where I found the thing I wanted to do. But yeah. then it still took like another, I don't know, like five years to get on the real path. I dropped out of college. I went back to college. I was like, you know, I mean, I was literally like a vagabond for a while. I was just kind of like yeah. riding the rails all over the country. And what was and the first musical that you did? Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. <laughs> yeah, man. I was, I was I a brother. my eyes. Were you, you were one of the brothers. Oh, oh that's brothers, so great. Yeah. yeah, I was like brother and like general ensemble. You know, it was like, I think yeah. I still, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like uh -huh. basically like, you know, the, the athlete who like shows up at the theater department, you know. Yeah, did script. you know, did you know that you could sing or, or I knew perform? I could sing. Yeah. So I grew up, my family, you know, in Eastern Kentucky, where I grew up, music is a huge part of the culture there. Mm. And so I grew up, my dad played guitar, all of his friends played music, they'd come over and, you know, there was always outlaws and rebels and people hanging out at the house, you know, like long cool. bearded guys with moonshine and like banjos <laughs> and like, it was some real like deliverance level shit, you know? And wow. so, but to like grow up around music in that way. And my mom was really like the classic rock kind of vibe. My dad was more like the country kind of vibe. And so those two worlds kind of meshed for me. And then, you know, I grew up in the eighties, which is such a great decade for music. And, mm. you know, so like, I just had a lot of different influences. So I was really interested in music. So I knew I could sing, I knew I could play guitar, but I, I didn't know anything about theater and, and acting to me was like, Oh, that's, I, I don't know what I imagined it to be, but you just thought, you thought they were like magical people that were just like created, you know, movie stars were like, there's just not real people. Like, it's just like, you can't do that. Like, right. so I never had the dream to like, Oh, I'm going to go to Hollywood or I'm going to go win a Tony or anything like that. I just yeah. kind of found my way there. If that makes sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense yet. <laughs> so yeah, right, we'll so I kind of, uh, yeah, well, I want to get there. Um, so, so you, you're, you're in college, you drop out of college, you're back in college. At uh, what yeah. point do you start to maybe get some opportunities or how are you, like financing your life at this point? Like what's going on uh, in these, some of these early years? Well, I mean, I was financing my life through a lot of ramen, a lot of top yes. ramen, yep. you know, yep. and a lot of, um, a lot of kindness from people. You know, I was crashing on a lot of couches. I was, mm -hmm. you know, staying with a lot of like, you know, community theater, like, uh, you know, they're like donors would offer up, Oh, we have a bedroom. You can stay here. You know, wow. it was, it was sort of, like I said, it was very like a, a vagabond kind of life in a lot of ways, you know, like I was literally riding the Amtrak to places cause it was like cheaper, you know, instead yeah. of flying and, or I drive myself. And so I, you know, I, it was just like, I, I've come from a very poor upbringing. I, we had nothing growing up. I mean, I was welfare, you know, food stamps, like my mom and dad working two and three jobs to just like keep yeah. afloat. And so I didn't have that luxury, you know, it was like, I was always sort of either relying on myself, relying on other people's kindness and, and, you know, just kind of like, it's this, I mean, I, we talked about this the other night, you know, Jen and I were talking about how, like when you're in your twenties, like it just feels like anything is possible, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. So you just, there was never really a, well, can I afford this or should I do? I was just like, all right, well, I'm going to this and I'm going to mm -hmm. go do this. And like, you know, you kind of like live with the consequences of that. And it worked out <laughs> for me so far. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. So, so what point did you, did you move to New York? Uh, did you have a degree? At what I didn't point? move yeah. to New York. Um, so the, the timeline kind of goes like I, I started college, community college in the fall of uh, 94. 
That'd be right. Yeah. The fall of 94 mm-hmm. and flunked out of community college my first year. Yeah. So that's when I got involved. I was like, all right, I'm going to go be a cop. And so then that was about six months of that. And then I was like, you don't make enough money for me to do this. Like, no way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then I was like, all right, I don't want to be an FBI profiler. So I decided I'm going to get out of my hometown. I'm going to go 45 minutes away to like the big university. Yeah. Which is such a small university, but like to <laughs> me, it's the big university called uh-huh. Moorhead state. Yeah. And so that was like, I was there like 95 to like 97 in the summer of 97. At this point, I'm kind of like working in the theater department, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a part of the theater department and they get you a summer stock job. So mm-hmm. I go to North Carolina, I'm working a summer stock job. I'm making like $150 a week. Like in the know what a summer teach. stock jo- job is what's a summer stock job. It's like, um, so it's like a, a theater that only operates in the summer. Uh-huh. This particular one was called the lost colony. It's literally an outdoor historical drama about the first colony that landed in America that disappeared, right? The Roanoke okay. colony. Yeah. So it's been running at that point. It'd been running for like 65, 66 years. Longest running outdoor drama is like huge historical thing. Cool. So it had a pipeline from my university to go there. So I go for the summer. I'm like in the choir, not even like playing a big role, like nothing. You know, I had like a small part at the very end of the show, but like I'm making 150 bucks a week. I'm living at the beach. I mean, it's right on the beach in North Carolina, right? I'm 21 years old. Life is perfect. I meet a girl there. She's like, you know, she's like the costume designer and she's like, she's like five or six years older than me. And I just thought she was so like worldly wise. And she was for a lot of things. She lived in Orlando and I was like, you know what? Why am I going to school, man? I'm getting paid to be an actor. Like, why am I going to school? I'm going to move to Florida with this girl. <laughs> like, yeah. so I 150 moved. bucks a week. We're, we're, we're making it. We're killing it. You're yeah. on our way. Yeah. <laughs> so I moved there. I quit school. I moved there. And uh, I was there for like not even like a month. Right. And my theater professor called and he was like, hey. I'm worried about you. I have a theater in Palm Springs. Um, it's a it's an equity theater, but I have one non-equity spot. It's the, our actors union. I have one mm-hmm. non-union spot. I'd love for you to come out and just like do these shows. So I was like, okay, great. So I go to Palm Springs, right? And I'm, I'm told you, I would just literally go where the wind would take me. Yes. So then I'm in Palm Springs. I meet a couple there who lived in New York. Um, I met another person there who was a music director in Syracuse, New York, who invited me to come and do a show in Syracuse. So I went to Syracuse for like a year and was just doing the community theater rounds. So there were like 98, 99 land. Then I moved to New York City for the first time in 99. I stayed with that couple that I had met in Palm Springs. They let Hmm. me stay in their basement. I was just kicking around the city, man. I was like trying to get auditions and I was going to open calls and all this stuff and ended up getting a job way out in um in pismo beach so Mm -hmm. like i flew from new york out to pismo you know went up there and spent like six months in pismo like doing this thing called the great american melodrama and vaudeville which is still there by the way and if you're ever up in pismo beach you got oceana correct to be specific about the town all right it's an incredible experience like it sounds fun Sounds great. So while I was there, man, I like I did that show for a little while and then uh, went back to Syracuse for a bit. This is like late 99. While I was in Syracuse, my mom came up to see the show and she was like, hey, I have some bad news. Um, I just found out I have breast cancer. Hmm. And that was when my whole life just changed. And I was like, "Okay, I'm I'm moving home. This is all over. Like, this is all over. I'm going to move home. I'm going to take care of you and get you well. 
and that's just going to be our life, you know? So I moved home. I'll never forget. I was home for that. You know, I was in my little hometown for, you know, the big Y2K New Year's <laughs> Eve. And I was sitting in this hotel room, mm. you know, with a bunch of people who like I shouldn't have been hanging out with, you know, like the roughnecks that I had grown up with and shit. And some of my friends, but like it was like overall kind of a surly crowd. Yeah. And I was looking out this window at my like little tiny hometown. And I was like, what happened, man? Like, what mm. happened? How did I get back here? Yeah. And so then I was there for like probably a year and a half working at Applebee's. Like, you no know, like, way. oh, bro, it was bad. Steve at Applebee's. It was bad. Oh, I, was dating, I was dating a pot dealer. Like she oh. had like two mm -hmm. kids dealing marijuana. Like it was just a whole situation, right? Yeah. Lovely person, by the way. It's oh, just sure. like just oh, the sure. culture there, you know? Yeah. So uh, I was just, I went to work one day. This was at a different restaurant. I was working at like a smaller rest, local restaurant. And I mm -hmm. go to work and I'm like, walk in and the manager's like, Hey man, can I see you? And I was like, Oh yeah. I'm like, Oh God, I'm gonna get fired from CJ Maggie's or whatever, you know, <laughs> I go in there and he's like, so listen, man, I just want to talk to you because like you've been here for a minute and, um, you know, I just, I feel like I see some things in you that like lead me to believe you might make a good assistant manager. And I the was golden like, handcuffs, they, they come out. <laughs> <laughs> The light switch went off for me and I was like, I have to get out of here. Like, this is my one yeah. shot. I have to get out of here. And if I don't, I'm going to be stuck here for the rest of my life. That night I went home, I got in my car. What did you say I to the, the, the manager? Did you say, oh, oh cool. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. John, that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Man, yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, whoa, <laughs> me? Assistant manager? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So I get in the car and I drive... I don't even know where I'm driving. I just get on the highway. I start driving and I end up at my old university. So my old mm. Moorhead State University. Yeah. And it's like early, early evening at that point, like 4, 35 o'clock. And I'm just like, I go to my, to the, this is in the summer too. So classes, you know, it's like summer school, whatever. But I go to the theater department thinking like, well, maybe I'll see, this is, by the way, pre-cell phone. Like I couldn't just call somebody. Of course. You yeah. know? So I was like, let me go to the theater department and see if anybody's around. Maybe I can see some of my old professors or whatever. I show up. My theater professor there is Dr. Travis Lockhart. Like literally credit this man with like changing my whole life. Hmm. He's there. And uh, we just sit down and I'm like, I want to come back to school. And he's like, well, let's get you registered. And boom, I was back in school. I was older at that point, you know, I had like really been working in like regional community theater for almost three years. I was like, I think I was 24 or so when I came back to school. Yeah. Not, you know, still young, 24, still super young. Yeah. 20, but 24 at undergrad, you're like, yeah. oh you're man. Right. right. But I came in, I had all this experience and then I was just like killing it. I was the lead in every show. I was directing shows. I directed mm. one of my professors in a show and it was just like a whole new world for me. I like, like went from having like a 2.1 GPA to like graduating with honors, <laughs> all this stuff. But then, yeah. you know, I got to that inevitable point and like late, my late senior year, I was like, well, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do when I graduate? You know, like, am I just going to go back and do what I was doing? And I had a couple of drinks at a, at a bar with a friend of mine and we were like shooting the shit. And he was like, well, like, you know, you're kind of like a big fish here. Like, what would you like, what's the bigger pond for you? And I was like, well, like New York. And he was like, ah, that's tough. Like, how are you going to do New York? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't know. And so I like go online. What's the best acting school in New York? And I find NYU's graduate acting program. 
Mm-hmm. I was like, again, you're in your twenties. You're so dumb. You're just like, whatever. You're like, okay, well, I'm going to let me I'm audition. Do that. I'll just do that. I'm yeah. just going to go audition for that. Yeah. You know, they see like, I mean, I don't even know how many thousands of people and they ultimately select 18 kids, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, there was, I mean, they see thousands and thousands of people. And so I was like, this is a long shot, but like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to try it. Go to Chicago. I auditioned for them. Um, get a call a couple of days later. Hey, we want you to come to New York for the final callbacks. So I go, it's 150 kids at the the final callbacks. You're there for three days. And then, you know, we go through the three days. I go back to Kentucky and the day I get back, my phone rings and, uh, this, you know, a, a literally Titan of the theater world was our, was our, you know, a chair there. Her name is Zelda Fitzchandler. She's basically credited with starting the regional theater movement. She was the head of arena stage in DC. I mean, she's just a Titan of yeah. the industry. Huh. She was very specific. She had like black frame glasses and yes, just a black bob and she talks <laughs> like this. And so <laughs> we had been getting some flooding and I answered the phone and I said, hello. And she's, I hear you're getting a little rain down there. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, who's this? And she goes, it's Zelda Fitzchandler, love. How are you? I was like, good. She was like, we'd love to have you join us at NYU. And I mean, I just like left my body. I was like, holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. And the next thing I know, I was in an MFA program at NYU. Um, you know, You're about three 28, years. maybe 28 years old at this point. It's like I was 26, 27, and 28. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So it was yeah. like 2002, 2005. Mm-hmm. So yeah, or uh, 26, 27, 20, or no. Yeah, I was like almost 30 when I graduated. Gotcha. So yeah. I was late 20s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, that place is a pipeline. You get agent there. You kind of get a lot of attention at your showcase. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it just was like literally like I left that school and immediately started working. And then it was just, you know, boom, boom, boom. I was on Broadway, you know. So and did you get long? This is, that's the long and winding road, you know. Yes. Did you get an agent from your showcase or did you have one before? No. Talking about an uh, agent. Yeah. I got an agent in my second year. Um, when, you know, when you go to a school like NYU or Yale or Juilliard, really, those are the three big ones. When you go to those schools, there's a lot of attention in the summers, you know, again, these summer stock programs. So I had gone to Williamstown uh, Theater Festival, which is a huge theater festival back east. Lots of big names. Um, you know, it's probably like one of the, the most renowned, you know, summer regional theaters. So I went there and I was just in like a small part, but in a very big show. Hmm. And one of the guys who came there to see the show was a big agent in New York named Jim Carnahan. And he talked to me after the show and he was like, hey, you know, what's your story? Like, I'm, I'm looking for this one role in a musical. Um, I think it was La Caja Fall. He was like, and I'd love for you to come to New York and audition. And I was like, okay, sure. Oh, no, it wasn't actually. It was this musical called All Shook Up, which is an El- based around like a jukebox show of uh, Elvis songs. Uh-huh. And, you know, we want you to come audition for the understudy. Well, for me, okay. like being an understudy, I was like, this is my big break. So, yes, totally. 100%. Yeah. So, I go, I audition. I don't get it. Hmm. But from that, I get called into another one because the reader at the All Shook Up audition, they couldn't find this guy at Lacage, And they say, hey, oh, I just read with this guy at All Shook Up who's great. He'd be great for this. So they like call me in for this. Right. So I'm, I'm traveling back and forth from Massachusetts to New York. 
going to all these Broadway auditions, mm-hmm. don't have an agent, nothing. So the casting director calls and he's like, Hey, um, I have a, an appointment set up for you and this agent at innovative artist. Um, cause you need some representation. Oh, so I wow. go in, I meet with them. They're like, yeah, we love it. Let's represent you. And then there was a lot of opportunity there over that summer to like not finish NYU. Like I could have mm-hmm. dropped out and gone mm-hmm. straight onto Broadway. Mm-hmm. I had this like moment of like, I've done that my whole life. And like, I think this is the one time where I don't do that. Like I just commit to, something. Yeah, yeah. commit to another year, finish this out. Cause this is a big deal. Like you're going to walk away with your MFA. You're going to have a huge showcase at the end. And like, it's going to be good for you. But it took a lot of the pressure out of my third year. Cause I had an agent, you know, I had, I had opportunities. I wasn't stressed out about school ending. I was ready. I finished it. And then, like I said, I just immediately went into working. I mean, at my first I, mean, I was out of school, you know, three weeks and I started doing Shakespeare in the park and then went right into my first Broadway show in the fall. You know, I was an first, what was your first show? Edward Albee's seascape, mm. which is a crazy play about these, this old couple that's having lunch on a beach when they get approached by these like two human sized iguanas that like talk. <laughs> and then it's just a rumination on like, it's just a philosophical mm. rumination for like two hours on like life and love and loss and, all these huh. things. Told your, as a FBI, your FBI uh, uh, profiling training came in, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Came in clutch yeah. for that, right? Yeah. It was pretty cool. I mean, it was honestly, it was amazing. You know, I was around Edward Albee for the whole time and and kind of mm-hmm. absorbing that knowledge. And um, Francis Sternhagen and George Grizzard were the two two older leads. And then um, Fred Weller and Beth Marvel were the two younger leads. And so I was just around like these incredible people. And just yeah. like, I was a sponge at that point, man. I was taking it all in, you know? Yeah, as an understudy, did you ever get to? Did you ever get to perform? Then? Yeah, 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 I got did. to go okay. on. Like, I think like four shows. I got to go on, which was cool. Awesome. You know, yeah, it was a cool experience. Took my first Broadway bow, like standing next to like two legends on one side and another one on the other. I was like, yes. "What is this shit?" You know? Yes, yeah. it was. It was. I still. I always joke that like if I ever have like any sort of traumatic, you know memory loss in my life. That's the one memory Memory. along with like the birth of my children. I think will just always be there Yeah, because I still see it when I like when that curtain went up, you smell it. Yeah. The lights and like you see everybody in the audience and you can't Mm -hmm. imagine you're performing in front of that many people. And like you're on that little stage and you're just like, holy shit, like I'm on Broadway. Like I'm (laughs) bowing on Broadway. I still remember it so well, you know, were you, uh, did you take out student loan debt uh, to go um, through college, your, your master's degree. You did. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, like six figures. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I it's, at it's NYU, yeah. at NYU, like it's very expensive. Uh-huh. I'd gotten no, I got a little scholarship money, not a ton. Um, but you know, I talked about my theater professor. He actually co-signed my loans because my parents unfortunately had bank had gone into bankruptcy and so they couldn't co-sign my loans so my theater professor this guy i'm telling you man this guy is like what? from kentucky your theater professor from kentucky heart. yes this man oh, has my whole heart he yeah. was like you're going to it was literally out of a movie he's like you're not going to miss this opportunity like you're going to school and he signed off on these loans you know and here i left school with like six figures in debt like 150k in debt to yeah. come out of there because you can't people don't understand this you can't get a job so you don't have a conservative you're in a conservatory you're I'm, yeah. i was there from 7 a.m until 11 p.m yeah. basically five six nights a week you had no time to get yeah. a job so you're taking out loans to live off of 
Mm-hmm. So like, you know, you, your tuition is $35,000. Then you have to take out an extra 15 to just pay rent to eat. And I was still scraping. Like that's oh, what's so crazy. 100%. Crazy. Would you do it again? Huh? Would you do it again? Would you, would you do that? Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Yeah. Like without even worrying, like what's a loan at the end of the day? Like, you know, <laughs> come on. Like it's, I'm, I mean, paying it off until I'm dead. If I even finish paying it yeah, off. Why, right. Why, so, why pay it off? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what does, what does an understudy make on his first Broadway show? Like what is, what are some of the figures on that? I mean, at that time, I think it was around, I, I'm not a hundred percent certain. It's less than a thousand because uh, per, per show or what's the per week per week. Okay. Yeah. Less than a thousand. Because per week, yeah. When you get up to like a, a musical, you make more. If you just are on, like if you step on stage, I think at that time, minimum was like 1100 $1,200 a week. Okay. And that's just and you're, minimum. And you're an equity performer uh, at this point? Yeah. Yeah. Equity performer at this point. So understudies, I know you made less and then you also made less if it was a play, like the, Mm. the, the rate for a play was, was lower. So I would say I was probably making like seven, 800 if, you know, if I was guessing it was around that, but you know, again, and we, everybody in the business talks about this. Half of that goes to your agents and managers. At that point I only had an agent. So it just, you know, 25% went to my agent. 25%. Uh, or like whatever it is, 10%. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, 10%, yeah. Um, but then uh, 10% to, uh, you know, your manager when you have a manager and then taxes, you know. So you're like, I was, again, working on Broadway, but not not thriving. You're, you're bringing home, home $25,000 a year. Yeah, so, and I'm yeah. living like way off in Brooklyn somewhere in like a sixth floor walk up, this like a 400 square apartment that's got four people living in it. You know, I mean, yeah. it was like that kind of life, you know? Yeah. So, what's, um, so what's the story then? Like when you get your first, what do you feel like your first break is? My first break came during that show um, when I got, I auditioned for a play at the Kennedy center, um, to play Bill Pullman's son. And I was a huge fan of his and, uh, the, the woman in the show, her name was Judith Ivy. She's a, a, you know, she's a legend in the theater world. And so it was like a big deal. And I was kind of an unknown at that point. Um, and so I went and got that show and from that show, I was nominated for a Helen Hayes Award, which is... You know, I'm like not sure their, what that is, a Helen Hayes. A version of their Tonys. Okay. Um, okay. It's like yeah. DC Regional Theater, but it's like one of the bigger regional theater awards, right? Awesome. Awesome. So that show kind of like lifted my profile enough that I got called in for a show um, called uh, 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 Spam-A-Lot. I don't know if you mm-hmm. know that I, show. Yeah, I know Spam-A-Lot. Yeah. And... So I went into audition for that show and it was Mike Nichols was the director. Nice. And he does old school auditioning, which is you audition on the stage at the theater and he's sitting in the audience. Right. <laughs> and I had grown up obsessed with Monty Python because it always came to like PBS, you know, it was always Benny 100%. Hill and then Monty yeah. Python real late night. And that was like my uh-huh. thing to watch. Right. So I was yeah. a huge Benny Hill fan, huge Monty Python fan. And so, you know, here I am, I'm at this point, like just a little over a year out of college, I think, not even less than a year out of college. Mm. And I had this audition and, uh, you know, I, they had asked me to prepare, there was a typo on my, 
on my audition thing, which was like prepare a contemporary, traditional, up-tempo musical theater like song. Uh-huh. And I was like, contemporary, traditional? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, what the hell is that? What's a contemporary, uh-huh. traditional? So my clown teacher at NYU was this actor named David Costable. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. I'm He's not, on I'm Billions. Not, yeah. He was, uh, you see Breaking Bad? Yeah. So he's, uh, he's, uh, uh, I forget his name. The guy that gives Walter White the book, um, his, oh, his assistant. Oh, that's yeah. like, he was like one of my, fa- my favorite characters yeah. in that entire series. So oh, good, right? I yes. character's name though, but yeah. So he was my clown teacher. The guy's an incredible clown. He's an yeah. incredible clown was a part of this huge clown troop in New York. So I run into him on the subway and he's like, Hey man, what's going on? I was like, Oh, you know, I'm just like stressed out. I have this big Broadway audition. I don't have a song for it. All this. And he goes, well, she just, Pick, a, pick an old song and just rewrite it. Make it funny. And I was like, David, what are you talking about? I can't do that. It's from Mike Nichols. He was like, yeah, it's just oh, like, do it. Like, just go home, find a song and make it funny. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. All right. Again, you're in your twenties and you're just like, all right. I go home. I find a song. I pick the impossible dream from Man of La Mancha. And I rewrite the whole song to be about a kid who just needs a Broadway show so bad because what? I have students to pay and like, I don't want to end up as a street prostitute and like all this stuff. <laughs> so I go in like to the stage of the Schubert theater where this Tony winning musical is playing is the biggest musical going on at that time. Yeah. Hank Asbury uh-huh. is the lead, you know, it's like a whole situation. I go in, I had this giant pink squishy ball that had like all these like weird little prongs on it. It was like a massage ball. I do this whole prep before I even start the audition where I'm like doing a stretch on stage. I'm on like stage? Really, You're on stage? Oh yeah. yeah. I'm like really taking my time and I'm like super serious about it, right? Yeah. I go to this, I've got a giant bag with me. I mean, giant bag, nothing in it except this little pink ball. So I like reach in and I'm like fidgeting. I pull this little ball out. I place it in my shirt, right? And I got it up like a hump, like I'm about to do Richard the Third or something. So I like kind of like walk to the edge of the stage and I look to the musical director and he starts the impossible dream, which is a very famous, you know, musical theater yes. song. And you could feel Just like, like oh. you could feel yeah. all I see is the black frame glasses, by the way. Like I can't uh-huh. see anything except like uh-huh. those glasses. And I'm just like, Oh God, this is, this is dying. Like it's not, I thought this was funny. It's not funny. So start the song. And the lyrics were something like my quest, the unfindable song, contemporary traditional funny but yet not too long Uh, (laughs) goes on this whole thing about like all the places that i went to find this song and then i gets to the end and i'm like you know i just need this job you don't know how bad but suffice it to say you don't know my dad like he thinks (laughs) i screwed up when i chose this career uh you know it's just like this whole thing and then i was like you know so please like make sure i'm not dancing in a cage down at a west village bar like please like help me you know like this whole thing so I finish, <clears throat> it's dead silent. <laughs> and then I just hear Mike Nichols go, very good. Can we do the scenes? And I was like, oh God. Oh, like it was like such a stab in the oh, heart. Very like, good. Can we do the scenes? And then he's like, can we just do the scenes? So I do the scenes and they're like, thank you very much. And I was like, thank you. I walk out into Schubert Alley, which is a very famous alleyway between the theaters and, um, I'm like, well, never doing spam a lot. Uh-huh. And at that point, this guy runs out the door and he's like, hey, wait, wait, wait. He's like, um, listen, I'm going to level with you. We already cast somebody for this part. Um, we were just looking for um, people for the future. 
because it was just for the tour at that point. He was like, we're just looking for the people for the future. But the tour is cast already. Um, but listen, they loved you. Like Mike thought that was incredible. Great job. And at some point you're going to be a part of the Spamalot family. I can just tell you that. And I was like, oh, okay. you know, I'm so at this sure, point. Sure, I'm sure. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Okay, whatever. Uh-huh. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, thank <laughs> you for the opportunity, like all that. So it was like, I don't even know how many months later, I'm sitting at home. I just gotten in from uh, from the gym, actually. I'm, I walk into my apartment. Uh, phone rings. Hey, uh, you got to get on a train and go to Boston. And I was like, when? They're like, tomorrow. I was like, this for is- what? Well, Mike Nichols wants to see you. I was like, dude, what now? Is this your agent calling you? Yeah. Mike Nichols called and has requested you come to Boston. They're opening the tour in Boston tomorrow night. And so he's got to be there, but he needs you there like ASAP. Yeah. And I was like, okay, what's going on? They were like, we have no idea. I was like, okay. What? So the next morning I get a phone call. Hey, have you left yet? No. Okay. Well, they want you to bring all the stuff that you had with you at your first audition and they want you to do your audition, but they want you to do the exact same thing you did at your audition. Don't change anything. What? I was like, Why? okay. <laughs> so here I am. I got my bag. I get on the train, go to Boston, um, show up at the theater. And, uh, Mike is there and he's like, Oh, my boy, good to see you. And I was like, hey, like we were best friends. You hey, know? Mike, I met this man for like this amount of time. My boy, good to see you. Um, do you know Eric Idle? And I was like, Oh, oh no. no. Yeah. No. And he was like, Oh, you know, Eric comes over. Hello. Hello. How are you? It's so nice to meet you. And I'm like, Hey, so like what's happening? He's like, well, yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're going to cast the Broadway show because all of our leads are leaving. And so we're going to recast the show. And like, you know, we, we, we just wanted to see your performance again. And I was like, okay. So Idol and Mike Nichols and some of these, I fucking redo legends. the exact same thing, bro. Like the exact, <laughs> I didn't change a thing. Uh-huh. I get done. Eric Idol comes up on stage and he goes, you're very funny. And I was like, oh, thanks. And he was like, oh, yeah, was, I love the bit with the ball. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is very, it's very silly. I was like, oh, thanks, thanks. So he was like, well, thank you so much. Mike was like, thank you. You know, we got to get back to work. We're opening the show tonight. No, like, hey, do you want to stick around and watch? Do you want yeah, to no, anything? Nothing. They were just like, thanks so much. For, for, I get yeah. back on a train. I'm headed back to New York. My agent calls and he says, congratulations, you're going to be replacing Hank Azaria on Broadway. And I was like, oh, my yeah. gosh. Fuck out. So and that's real. the moment where like I was like, oh, this was like my big break. Like that was it just happened. Like this story will never not be a great story of how like I got called to Boston by Mike Nichols to audition for Eric Idle. And on the train home, found out that I got my first Broadway show replacing Hank Azaria in Spamalot, my, one of my favorite movies of all time, you know? Yeah. And then it was just like, that was it. You know, it was kind of like at that point, the the ball started rolling and I wasn't really off it for like another 10 years. You know, it was probably Now, are 10. you at this point, from that moment forward, are you financially stable? Uh, to a certain extent. To a certain extent. I mean, you're never financially stable as an actor unless you're one of the like really, really lucky few who, you know, who hit it really big or get, you know, like a big property that runs or something. But I was good enough that like I was able to live by myself for the first Mm -hmm. time. Didn't have to have roommates. Right. I had my own apartments. 
Um, I was in a relationship at the time, which helped as well because the two of us, you know, it's like when you're, you know, two, two versus one is always easier. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you was know, she, we were good. We weren't was working. Was she also industry or? Yeah, or she was, she was an actress as well. Um, and she was, you know, she was working pretty consistently. So like both of us were, you know, at that point we were in our careers, you know, like we yeah. were kind of like on the path and like no more worried about like bills and day jobs and all that. Like we were just in the business at that point, you know? Yeah. So for and the then, next 10, 10 years, you're just kind of riding that, that. Yeah. That a lot wave. of Broadway shows. Um, some, you know, I, I started opposite Audra McDonald in a musical called 110 in the shade, which is a huge, huge experience for me. I mean, she's, you know, the winningest Tony award winner in the history of the world. She's got like six Tony awards, I think, Amazing. you know, I'm playing opposite her every night, which was incredible. I did a play. I did, you know, some other things. And then I, you know, we finally made my girlfriend and I at the time, uh, she was doing wicked at the Pantages here in LA. Mm -hmm. And so we said, all right, well, let's just, let's make the move. You know, like we've been wanting to like try out LA, let's go to LA. You got a job. It's perfect timing. Like, so we were out here in 07, my first time coming out here. And, uh, you know, I, as soon as I got here, I was like, oh, well, this is it. Like, I love this. City. I don't ever <laughs> yeah. want to leave this ever again. Yeah. And I was doing, you know, I was on the guest star circuit, you know, I was like, I, I always joke, like it was all those shows with letters in them back then as a CSI NCIS, like but or numbers, I, you know, I like, feel it was like just, I feel like we skipped, I feel like we skipped a step, Steve. Cause it's, I, cause at this point you're, you're doing a lot of stuff in New York on stage. Yeah. At what point was it the same agent that started to get you some acting gigs or how did that, how did that naturally morph or did it, was that something yeah, that you desired kinda, or looked for? Yeah. It's just part of the, it's like the, the way it goes. I mean, you know, you're just yeah. always, I had been, I had gone out for TV shows and movies mm-hmm. and things. It just wasn't happening at that point. I think there's a learning curve too, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, NYU does a really good job in their third year of like prepping you for on camera auditioning and like, you know, auditioning for TV mm-hmm. and film. Um, they are primarily a theater school. They were, but then what started happening is so many of their alumni started like really becoming famous on TV and Mm. film and and being known for like Billy Crudup and Michael C. Hall, Peter Krause, uh, Eric LaSalle, like all these people like really started to kind of like blow up Sterling, uh, you know, Sterling K. Brown, who was just the year before I got there, like, obviously look at his career. Like there's just been, I mean, deny Gurira. There's like so many, I could, the list goes on and on of these people that were like really succeeding that they were like, okay, like we've got to start focusing a little bit on like prepping people for TV and film. Cause it's a huge part of the world these days, you know? Right. Um, I was there at the transition between like, we're a, a, a theater school that teaches you how to be a company of actors mm. to more of a, we're a theater school that also preps you to be an individual artist on your way out. Cause there's no real like acting groups anymore. There's no like, you don't really go to places and like are a part of a company of actors. So they were kind of like, it was a little bit of like, you know, the end of an era when I was there. Um, now I think it's very focused on TV and film. If I'm, you know, they still do a lot of training in theater, but I think they know like, this is how it goes, you know, because it's, it's Um, a very different medium. Um, I, I've I've done, I've done films where we have, we have equity actors involved. Um, actually during the strike, we did a, we did a film that was non-SAG, um, that we, we use equity actors and they're big, they're very big performances. Um, yeah. and I, and I had, you know, it's like, and I have to, not me, but I would maybe every once in a while mention to the director, like I'm on a 75, I'm on an 85, like I'm right up in here, like in this performance is just maybe yeah. let them know that like, yeah. <laughs> 
they can bring it, they can bring it down a little bit. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like, like just come down like a notch here, just like just a notch, because yeah. I am right up in their face. Yeah so, yeah. so was there a learning curve for you going from having to project, having to just emotionally just dive into these theater theatrical performances, uh, and then adapt to to screen? Um, I don't think so. I think what was hard for me was the audition process. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a little more chaotic and it felt more pressurized for me than theater did. You know, theater is you walk into a room and people chat with you a little bit and like you talk about the scene and you talk about the character. It's a lot more like it's warmer in a lot of yeah. ways. And yeah. I had been in that world for a while. So I just felt kind of knew everybody, you know, you walk, Hey, how are you? Like whatever. When I started going in for TV and film, you know, nobody knows you, nobody cares. It's a, it's an assembly line, you know, in and out, like, you know, you're there with 150 other people. And so yeah. it's like a lot of pressure. And I think I let nerves get the best of me in the beginning, but yeah, you know, my first TV gig was in right after I got out of school, obviously like, you know, one of the hallmarks of being an actor in New York is that you usually do a law and order or some sort of <laughs> thing, right? So yes. I never, I've never done a law and order, criminal intent, special victims, like none of it, but I was, uh, a guest star, they did a spinoff called um, uh, Conviction, which was mm. about the young DAs coming up in the office, right? So like okay. it was a Dick Wolf show, but it wasn't Law and Order Conviction. It was just called Conviction. So I still gotcha. never technically got my Law and Order, uh, but I did still time. There's still time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I did that and it was, you know, like I liked it, but it was such a small thing and like it mostly just felt like a lot of pressure. And so I didn't love TV in the beginning. Like I didn't love, I just liked the theater and I liked being in that. And it wasn't until I got to LA and I started to kind of really work in TV. And like, I think I got here and did like four or five guest stars, like right out of the gate, you know? And I was like, Oh, okay. Like I'm, I'm starting to understand and you're getting a lot of on the job training and you're like, it's hard because like you can't really watch other actors because some of them are like really, you know, not great at what they're doing, yeah. you know, and so like you kind of just have to learn for yourself and kind of like, you know, I was big on like sitting in the video village and kind of like watching the shots and like trying to understand, mm. like you said, like, you know, the difference between 85 and, you know, whatever. So like, I just like, where are we at? And then like, like, what's the frame on this person and how close are you? And, um, you know, Paul Newman talked a little bit about like how he used to work and like, you know, how his performance would change based on the the lens, you know, and yeah. like how yeah. far away and you can see, you can go back and look at the work and you can really see how he was like a, a master at that in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. I kind of just started like trying to take it in as much as possible, you know, and, and trying to take in information about it as much as possible. And like, really, instead of just showing up and being like, oh, I'm an actor and like, just stand here and like say the lines or what I was trying to understand, like, well, what are we, what's the picture we're looking at here? Like, what are you getting from me? Where do you want, you know, what do you want to see from this? And like, and then trying to incorporate that into the performance, you know, cause yeah. it's a tricky theater is different. Cause you get, you know, you start the beginning and you end at the end. And so all the emotions are usually coming in, you know, in, in a, in a, in a in straight sequence. line. Yeah. And TV, you're like, okay, we're shooting the death scene on Friday <laughs> and, then like, yeah. and then your child's birth on Tuesday. And you're like, wait, oh, that doesn't, you know, and they're yeah. like, go. And you're like, oh, okay. You know? Yeah. So it was a little bit of a learning curve, but I, I never really felt like I, I never felt like I was underwater in any way. You know, it just yeah. was like, I think about getting comfortable more than anything. The, the film we did together, I, I did feel like your acting was incredibly natural. 
and and, Thanks, and it, it surprised me because I, I knew you would come from theater and and so but once you, you the performances were very like consistent toned down like the the point came across it was multi-dimensional um yeah i yeah. I, I thought it was really fantastic so i had a great time yeah i think uh, you once you know it's the things that happen between the dialogue and film that is so much more interesting and i was yes. like oh that makes so much sense to me yes like, that makes so much sense to me exactly. you know because just like so many people don't take their time, you know, like they mm -hmm. just are rushing through all the moments. Here's a line. Here's the next line. No. Yeah. Not you know? <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so, so, so it's like 2007, you're in Los Angeles. Uh, you still don't have a Tony at this point. No. Um, can no. we talk about the Tony and, uh, and, and if that changed your life at all or not, I'm, I'm curious. So let's, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I was here for two or three years. Kind of, like I said, I was on the guest star, you know, wagon wheel. I was just mm -hmm. like in this show, in that show. And then, um, CMT kind of had branched. I remember back in the early 2010s when everybody was like scripted programming, we're all, everybody's going to do scripted programs. So CMT yeah. was like, we're doing scripted programming now. And so I got cast in a, in a sitcom, a multi-camera sitcom, which was incredible. Like I talk mm -hmm. about something I loved doing, um, and ran on CMT. And while I was doing that, I got a phone call from that casting director who had, uh, who had basically got me my agent who I remain close to, to this day. And, you know, he cool. had called and he said, Hey, I'm, um, doing this workshop of a, of a new musical and our lead actor has dropped out. And this is a four day workshop, like no commitment, no nothing, but like it requires guitar playing. And I know you play guitar and would you come and just kind of fill in? Yeah. And I said, you know, I can't right now. I'm about to take two weeks vacation. Um, I'm going to Nashville. I'm promoting all this, you know, stuff for the show. And like, so I, I just can't get to New York for four days. Like, I, I apologize. I'm sorry you lost an actor, but like, thank you. And he goes, well, can I tell you about the show? And I said, yeah, for sure. And so he says, well, it's a musical based on this movie. You probably don't know. And he was like, it's called Once. And I was like, uh, definitely know it. It's my Love favorite it. film of all time. Like I, when yep. it came out, I'd taken everybody that I knew to see this movie in a little so tiny good. theater up in New York, a little art house theater. I mean, yeah. I must have seen it 20 times in the theater. I just thought oh. it was incredible. Talk about like just a naturalistic film, oh. like uh, the approach. It was so, oh, beautiful. so beautiful. Such a so beautiful, beautiful film. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan and he's like explaining this thing to me. And in my head, I'm just seeing like the worst possible outcome for a Broadway show based on this little tiny thing. Like, are you kidding me? Like, hell no. So then I'm like leaning into like, well, you know, I, I would, but it's the vacation. I can't do it. Like, I'm so sorry. You know, thanks. Thanks again. We get off the phone. And I'm like, there ain't no fucking way. There's no part of my language, but I was like, there's no That's way. Right, yeah. There's no way that, that this, no. Like not, this is an embarrassment. <laughs> this is an, an affront to the theater. Like, no, no. Uh -huh. The next day my agent calls, he's like, Hey, listen, like, I know you don't want to do this. Um, is there any chance I could talk you into this? Cause Jim is really in a bind right now. And like, you know, he did, <clears throat> he did you well by like getting you in. Yeah, like, you helped you out. Gave yeah. me a little bit like, you know, you owe this guy one, like, come uh -huh. on. Uh -huh. I was like, no way, man, I'm not doing it. Like, I'm not doing it. It's going to be a disaster. I'm not doing it not cutting my vacation short. Like, no couple more conversations. And he finally was like, look, if you just go and do it for four days, they don't have, they're, they're not attached to you in any way. You literally are just a body. Can you just go be a body? And by the way, they're willing to fly you from your vacation, right? For the four days and then fly you back to your vacation. I was like, yeah, okay. Right. All right, fine. 
So I yeah. took four days out of my vacation. Um, I go to New York and this is like, you know, at this point my show had stopped filming and we were kind of like waiting for it to air and see how people received it. So I go to New York, I do this reading and it's so good. Like, the director is this guy named John Tiffany. And like, he came from, he came from London and you could just tell he had a different sensibility. And our choreographer was like this really fresh new kind of idea of what choreography is. And like, I'm just sitting there around the table and I'm like listening to this thing and I'm watching this, the play that the playwright had written. And I was like, this is so good. Like my immediate, my brain switched from how do I never see this again to how do I get them to not replace me after this? <laughs> so we do the workshop, it's like four days and uh, we go out for a drink afterwards. And the director says to me, Hey, listen, you know, like, I'd really love for you to do this. Like, would you be interested? And I was like, hundred percent. Only problem is I have a TV show. We, if we get picked up, like I'm not going to be able to do this. Yeah. And he was like, okay, I understand. But like, would you like to do it if you can? Yeah. hundred percent. So I come back home to LA <clears throat> I have never prayed harder in my life for a show. To not, not get, get picked up. <laughs> to, you know, to the people who were on that show, I wanted it to get picked up, but I was like yes. hoping maybe, yes. maybe they didn't like me. They replaced me, kill me off like something. Right. I was yeah. like, please, please, please. Cause I just knew this was going to be special, but I didn't know the, what kind of special in my mind. Cause at this point, the, the music's already won the Academy Award, right? So it's like, yeah, the I, song had won the Academy yeah. Award. Um, yeah. but in my mind, like the biggest that I was thinking was cause we were scheduled to just go do like a six week workshop, uh, up at ART, the American rep theater in Har at Harvard, basically. And I thought, you know, it's probably just going to be like an off Broadway kind of thing. Cause it was so small. It's like such a tiny little cast and like a little tiny set and all this. Yeah. So we go up, we do it in a bar in, in Boston and you know, 90 seats or something like that. Um, then the night that we're, we're opening the show there, we get the word that New York theater workshop, which was like, you know, to me growing up, it was like, you know, a, a Mecca for like incredible theater to come out of that they were going to do the show. And I was like, well, there you go. I was right. It's going to go to this like really prestigious off Broadway place. It's going to be really well received. And then boom, like we're done. And I get this cool experience and, you know, I'll come back to LA. Sure. So we start rehearsal, we open the show and the first night it was just like, you just, everybody could tell like, this is something really special, yeah. but it was dead silent. And that theater is like a hundred seats, right? Mm. It's like a 99 seat theater. It was dead silent. No applause after the songs, no nothing. Huh. But then we take our final bow and it's just like, people are like crazy. <laughs> the next thing you know, like in the, in the next couple of like days, you start hearing people on the subway. Well, did you hear about this show once? Oh, New York theater workshop. Well, this and that. And you just start hearing. I'm like, holy shit. Now it's an impossible ticket. You can't get in people like lines of people trying to get like, you know, standby, standby last tickets, yeah. cancellations shows like blowing up. So in our previews down there, it's impossible to get into see. So our opening night on Broadway, they bring us all or on off Broadway. They bring us out all, all on stage and they're like, Hey, great news we're going to Broadway. <laughs> it's like, Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. This is about to be the worst thing ever. Uh -huh. Like this little show cannot go into a massive Broadway theater. Like what are we doing? 
And, uh, you know, our run down there was like, like basically through the end of 2011 up until the new year. And like I said, sold out every night, huge hit, massive, massive, like buzz about it. It goes to Broadway and it literally just hit the ground running and we didn't change a thing. Like we didn't change a single thing. It was always this little intimate, small, little beautiful piece of theater. And it's a testament to like, if you just do something good, people will get drawn to it. Like people will come and see it because word gets out that it's good and people want to see things that are good. Mm. And so, you know, it would just became this massive hit. And, you know, three months in, we were in full swing, you know, Tony's and all of that stuff. And, you know, we get to that night and we think we were nominated for 11. And I think we ended up winning eight of the 11. And it was wow. just like everybody was winning. You know, it was just like the director, the show, the book, the lights, the sound. And, you know, got to my leading ladies category and she unfortunately didn't win. Um, Audra McDonald won. But I still stand by the fact <laughs> that like I think she I think she gave the best performance. I mean, I really yeah. think she just gave an incredible performance that year. Um, should have won. Um, and then, you know, my category came up and, uh, my biggest thing was like, I just hope they say my name right in, in the nomination. Like, you know, cause I, I've come like this whole way, please don't say Casey or Kazi or like whatever. Like, I just hope they say Kazi. And then they said Kazi for like, you know, the, the nominees are, and they said Steve Kazi from once. And then I was like, Oh God, yes. They said my name. Uh, wait then, a second. <laughs> and then they were like, I was like, wait, why did they just say my name again? Oh my God. Oh God. And I was like, put my head down. And then there's this, you get this whole, like, um, you get this whole, like, uh, pre, like pre-taping, uh, meeting where they're like, you have 30 seconds. So as soon as they say you're, you better go, or we're going to cut you off. And you're like, Oh God. So my brain's like, go move, you know, so go, go. get up there and I turn around I just see all these (laughs) thousands of people out there and I'm holding this thing. And I know it's like millions of people are watching. It was just, ah, it was, it was wild, you know, and I had lost my, we've, I think we've personally talked about this, but like yeah. I had lost my mom, uh, just, a, a two months prior and that emotion all just kind of came flooded out, you know, yeah. and I don't even remember half the things that I said. I just remember kind of coming off stage and, and breaking down backstage and just like really kind of having like a huge emotional release, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, you asked if it changed my life. It certainly did. It certainly did. I still, I still don't know if it changed it for the better or for the worse in a lot of ways. Why? Um, that's a deeper, I don't know, man. It's, um, (laughs) you know, it's the pinnacle of our, of that business. Yes. It's it's literally the mountaintop. You know, I was in the hit Broadway show that won all the Tonys and I won a Tony. And it was at the same time, a beautiful piece of art. And it was so fulfilling and so wonderful. And then, you know, you, so that's, you know, Sunday night is the Tonys. You have Monday off and then Tuesday night, you're just back at the show hmm. and you're like, Oh, right. Like, like, I had a hole in me that I didn't know I had that I thought that that thing was going to fill up. And it was the realization that like, Oh, right. This doesn't fill that hole. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and I talk about this a lot, Mm -hmm. like 
I had delayed so much grief and delayed so much suffering um, in order to get to that point, you know, because my mom was dying the entire time I was working on this show. And I had really just compartmentalized it to the back, you know, as much as I could, because, you know, my mom died on a Sunday night. I had her cremated on Monday, funeral service on Tuesday, drove to New York on Wednesday and was back in the show on Thursday because we had Tony voters coming and I wasn't about to like let my company down, you know, my show down. And like, so I was like, I got to get back, you know, Hmm. and they were, they delayed all the Tony voters while I was gone, which was nice. And, you know, but I got back and I like went right back into the show, but like, you know, perfect examples, like my first show back, I get through the show, I walk into the wings and I just collapsed into a heap you know, of just sobbing and wailing. And my company at that time was so incredible. And they, you know, they really carried me through that time, but I was not well, I was not well here. I am out there like working my ass off for the Tonys and, you know, just trying to like have this like modicum of success and like to really like make it, you know, and Mm -hmm. we got done with that and it was all over. And then, you know, you have to, you have a bill you have to pay. And that yeah. bill was like grief and it, it was, you know, it kind of manifested itself in like depression and mania. And, you know, like I was on the highest highs and then the lowest lows. And then, you know, just like running this machine was just going and then you're, you know, you're doing these appearances, you're on the view, you're on this, you're on that, you're like, it's, it's chaos, you know? Yeah. And then that all ended up at, you know, at the end of that run, I kind of like had some vocal issues cause I had just been doing it for so long. And, and then my brain, my mind just gave out. Like I yeah. just had like a mental break. So I, it's been a journey for me these last almost, which is crazy, almost 12 years since that show, um, to put it in perspective a little bit, you know, and like, mm-hmm to, to find a place of like gratitude for it, that it happened, but also like an understanding that like, it's not the most important thing that's ever happened in my life. Um, it's an incredible honor. And like, it means the world to me to know that like I achieved that in my life. Like in that year, people thought that I gave one of the best performances, uh, and knowing how hard I worked at it, but I, it really kind of turned me off to this idea that like, awards in our industry are like things to be, you know, to, to strive for. Cause I just don't know. I just don't know. I don't know anymore. So what, what advice do you have for people to be fulfilled? Uh, <laughs> lots of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, heavy psychedelics. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and also just, you know, the perspective, I think it's an important perspective to know that like, you know, we all have limited time here and no, none of us know how much that we have. And when our time is up, like, I know this about myself, like when I'm laying, hopefully as an old, old man in my deathbed, I'm hoping that I have my family around me and that I'm not sitting there holding on to a Tony and watching like YouTube clips of my performances. You know what I mean? Like, yes, my performances that I have done, Mm. I I used to always have this thing and and it's not uncommon and I can't take credit for it, but 
you know, it's hard to do eight shows a week and it's hard to get motivated to do eight shows a week. And so my thing would always be, there might be a little me in the audience tonight, you know, Mm. be, be it from another country, from same, you know, similar, uh, surroundings that I grew up in or you know, circumstances that I grew up in, or, you know, somebody who was a complete opposite, but there might be somebody in the audience tonight that needs this performance for whatever reason. Cause in yeah. a lot of ways is what we do as actors is we just hold a mirror up to the audience. That's it. Can you see mm-hmm. yourself in this? Is mm-hmm. there anything that you can see about yourself in this tonight? Does it make you feel anything? That's what we're doing. That's our job. We're telling a story to make you feel something. That's it. And so as long as I'm doing that for the rest of my life, then that's going to be the thing that is fulfilling to me. Yeah. And not if so, someone, not the awards, not the accolades, not no. the reviews. If yeah. someone along the way goes, hey, this performance was so good. We want to give you this trophy for it. Thank you. Then you thank you so much, but it's not the reason. Yeah. And for in, in that time, I kind of got pulled into the idea that, oh, this is the reason like this is what we're and it's it's not just you that's doing it. It's everybody around you that's doing it, because the, yeah. the, the tricky part of this, as you well know, is those awards mean money. Right. Yeah. And that money means, you know, that everybody gets rich and everybody gets more. And and so people are pushing you so hard. Right. Like they were having us go and perform for Tony voters three or four songs before we even would go to the show that night. Wow. You know, so I'm like getting off the phone. My mother's yeah. dying. I'm having a conversation with her because she thinks Barack Obama is in her hospital room because she oh. was so out of it. Yeah. Get off the phone. And I have to go right into like this you know, conference hall and perform three songs and then go straight to the show and do that. And it's just chaos, you know? And so I, but I bought into like, this is important. I have to do, I have to do this. This is important for me. And it just was the realization was so hard for me was the realization that dawns on you after you achieve it, that you go like, Oh, right. It's just an award. Like it's just people thought you gave a good performance and like, it's a, it's a thing to be grateful for, but like, Mm -hmm didn't do anything to change your life, you know, because the only person that can change your life is you. Yeah. And that was the, for me, that was the real sort of like, okay, that's when I started seeing a therapist. That's when I really sort of took control of my own life and my own emotional well-being and my own mental health. And from that point on, you know, the, the tricky part with that comes then the, the way that I went was like, well, none of this matters. Right? <laughs> so then I went into like, I just didn't care about anything. And if I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. And then that kind of like leads to some real like creative, like creative stagnation, you know? Sure. So yeah. The last, you know, four years or so has been me trying to like find the balance between those two modalities and those two ways of thinking. Cause there is a healthy middle, you know, oh, where, sure. You yeah. care about the thing you're working on and you want it to be successful, but it doesn't define you or anything about your worth. And if you can find that balance in this business, I mean, if I could bottle it, I'd be a billionaire, you know? Yeah, exactly. So. Well, hey, Steve, I'm not going to take up too much more of your time. I, I, You've already been on for more than an hour and I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I got a lot out of this episode and I think a lot of the audience did too. 
Uh, so thank you so much for your time. Yeah, man. I'm uh, so, happy, so happy to see you and happy to do this. And like, I'm glad we can make it work out and I miss you. I loved, you know, like I've, I've said you a thousand times, loved working with you. Same. I think you have an incredible eye. I think you have an incredible way of working with actors and I loved it. We, our household is a huge fan of you and we just love you and hopefully we can see you soon too. Great. Same. That would be awesome. Yeah, All right, man. We'll hit you up soon. Okay, brother. Thanks again. Right, take care. All right. Thank you guys so much for sticking around to the end. As always, please share the podcast with your friends. Word of mouth is the best type of growth. So if you could uh, do me a super solid, if you're enjoying the podcast or getting anything out of it, if you're at all listening, I would imagine you're a super fan. So that's great uh, at this point. So if you could share it with your friends, uh, maybe a social media post or uh, something like that would be awesome. And we will see you next time. Thank you.